This is episode 133 with the 2016 Olympic bronze medalist in the steeplechase, the 2017 world steeplechase champion, and a vocal supporter of clean sport, Ms. Emma Coburn. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm excited to share with you a conversation with one of the most dominant runners in the world right now, Ms. Emma Coburn. We're going to talk about how she's maintaining the momentum of her incredible last few years now that her spring race schedule has been canceled because of the coronavirus. Her advice to all of us who are in a similar position how her training has evolved over time, and when she knows it's time to make a change with how she approaches running. If you're new to the show, welcome. Feel free to browse our other 132 episodes or our YouTube channel or our website, strengthrunning.com, for actionable strategies to get stronger, master your mindset, and further optimize your training and injury prevention efforts so you're always getting better. I would also like to thank our sponsor for this show, Elevate Running Camp in Boulder, Colorado. This is an adult running camp that's perfect as a springboard to your fall season. I know that the world is a little crazy right now, which is why Elevate has suspended their camp registrations, but you can still sign up for their newsletter at elevaterunningcamp.com and be the first to know when registration opens again. You'll also receive $200 off a camp of your choice as soon as registration opens up again with the code ELEVATESTRENGTH200. Even if you're unsure about the future, whether this is right for you, or even if you'll be able to attend, it's a good idea to sign up to learn more just in case. Go to elevaterunningcamp.com, sign up, and know that Elevate will be here for you once life returns to normal. Okay, friends, now it's time to hear from Emma Coburn. We were limited to only 30 minutes, but we got into great discussion of her training. And I want to thank our team strength running members for thinking of some of these questions. When I can, I ask our team members if they'd like to shape an upcoming podcast episode by submitting their personal questions for a guest. And to continue supporting you through this uncertain time, the team is open right now. Go to strengthrunning.com slash join the team to see if it's right for you and join hundreds of other runners around the world who are leaning on each other in this trying time. Now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Emma Coburn. Well, we only have 30 minutes, so I wanted to jump right in and really get into some meaty questions here. You are one of the most dominant American runners right now, 2016 Olympic bronze medalist, 2017 world champion, 2019 silver medalist at the world champs. You're just having a great run right now. And with the Olympics postponed until 2021, what are you doing right now to maintain the momentum of your career and hopefully push back what you're hoping to do this summer to next year? I, it's definitely an awkward situation to be in. Um, when I, when I think of the momentum that my career has had the last, you know, several years of, um, Rio being successful. And then the last two world championships, um, being successful, it's, it's a bummer to have to kind of sacrifice a year during the peak of your career. But, um, you know, I, I feel confident that I'll be able to replicate what I wanted to do in 2020, that I'll be able to replicate that in 2021. 
I feel like I know my body well. I have a good formula for kind of the training that I need, the timing of, you know, different phases of training, um, the treatment that I like to get, um, you know, diet, all of that. I feel like I have a really good handle on, um, and have dialed that in pretty well over the last couple seasons. So it's a bummer, but I feel like, you know, we'll get it done next year. I love that attitude, Emma. That's awesome. Um, what, what advice do you have for adult runners around the country and indeed around the world who have their spring races canceled? You know, I almost feel like a lot of the, you know, the recreational runner scene is experiencing what you're experiencing, except on a sh- maybe a shorter time scale. So their spring races are being pushed back to the fall. How do you think they can make the most out of this current time right now? I think it's a good time for every every person, but every runner, professional or recreational to really slow down and take a minute and appreciate just the joy of running. Um, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages from recreational runners in the last, you know, week or two and they're panicked saying, Oh, my 5k that I was supposed to run in two weeks is canceled. How do I maintain this fitness? How do I peak for the next race? And, and there is a lot of anxiety in the recreational running community about races being canceled, but the joy of recreational running is it's not your job. And so you can just take a breath, find the joy. And of course, working hard and, and having a race to kind of test that work is what all athletes want. But, um, both professional and recreational runners just need to be patient and try and enjoy the process right now and try and just enjoy being, you know, getting outside and going for runs in a obviously well social distancing. Um, and, and yeah, just slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Now, are you slowing down with your training? What are you changing right now? Now that things are kind of shut down and you don't have any races on the horizon. I was training for a 10K April 4th, and then I was going to do a 5K um, in May. And so my training for, um, you know, a lot of February and March thus far had been kind of just accumulating mileage, building good strength for that 10K. Um, And then probably right when all of this was really ramping up in the U S in the last 10 days is when I was going to start cranking up the intensity and practice to really prep, um, for that race pace, 10 K stuff. So, um, we pulled the plug on, on cranking that intensity, but I've, my training is pretty much as it would be, um, in kind of the fall in a traditional year when I'm just kind of building mileage doing strength workouts, nothing where I'm, you know, hands on my knees, tired at the end, but just accumulating some good work and staying strong and kind of priming my body so that whenever it is time to go, I have a really strong foundation that I can then just sharpen up over the course of a couple of weeks and get ready for a race. Yeah. It sounds like you're just reducing the intensity so that you can almost like prolong your season, uh, which probably is, yeah, is a good re- idea for, for all of us, right? reducing intensity, um, you know, mileage and when possible and not stressing about making any one particular day or workout or session, um, significant, you know, it's just about accumulating a body of work right now and not, you know, there's no killer workouts out there. It's just, yeah, 
cranking, waiting to crank up that intensity until it's go time. All right, Emma, most of the questions that I have for you are actually listener generated. So this episode is kind of an of the people by the people episode. Um, This one comes from Rose. She wants to know what's remained constant versus what's changed over time in your running career. So in other words, you know, what aspects of your training or even your mental training have stayed the same and what has adapted and changed over the years? There's probably two or three things that have stayed consistently the same. Um, One is Joe, my husband, who's now my coach. He and I have been together since high school. So we were on the team together at the University of Colorado. And now he's my coach and my new training group. So he's been a constant. Um, And then also really great female training partners. I've always had um, on the college team, my first group I trained in post-collegiately and then the group I train in now, really strong, solid group of women that, you know, we might not perfectly overlap with every um, skill we possess or every, you know, our personalities might not be identical or anything, but we really know how to work together and, um, you know, hurt together and make each other better. Um, And then just from a purely physical standpoint, the most you know, just being really consistent with accumulating weeks of training. Um, I've, I've been lucky to, I've, I've suffered through some injuries, but I haven't had major surgeries or anything that really kept me out of running for, you know, more than a couple months. Um, and so just consistent training, that's been a huge, a huge piece of my career for, you know, the last 10 years since I've been doing this on a kind of a high level. And then the things that have probably changed, I can't remember if this is a question that Rose had, but, um, is that I, my training over time has definitely gotten more strength based in the sense of, um, my training looks more probably like a 5k, 10k runner than it does a miler, um, over the years, like that's, that's kind of where it's headed and, um, weight, like lifting strength training in the gym, I've become a much stronger, physical, stronger athlete, um, muscularly. So when you use the word strength, you're kind of using it in two different ways. There's the muscular strength that you get from lifting weights and doing strength training. And then there's like the aerobic strength that you're getting from higher mileage and long runs and longer repetitions. Is that right? Am I kind of understanding this correctly? Yes. Yes. I, yes. The, the, you know, runners typically think the word strength and we think of aerobic strength and, um, yeah, being good at, you know, the 10 K or the marathon, but, um, and that's certainly part of it, but then also, yes, muscular strength, lifting, um, that side of it is a really big part of my health over the last, you know, four years or so, um, really increasing my time in the weight room and increasing the weight that I can lift and all of that. Yeah, well, I really appreciate the strength work that you post up on Instagram. I think it's uh, really great to see runners doing this kind of work. You know, I think we're moving away from the time when all runners did was just run. I think the importance of that ancillary work is really coming into focus right now. But Emma, how do you know, like when it's time to move out of a certain comfort zone with your training and try something new? You know, is there uh, you know, a performance plateau or some other cue that you're looking for that prompts you to make a change like that? Um, sometimes, I mean, to be honest, it's usually just Joe, um, 
my coach telling me like, all right, we're going to try something. I mean, I remember when he first started coaching me, he said, all right, we're going to do 10 miles at six minute pace. And that felt like, what, what? Like I was used to doing maybe 15 miles at 620 pace, but, or four miles at 530 pace, but never hitting that middle. And that was something that he just recognized as a hole in my training that was like, all right, we're going to fill this hole. And then now that's something that we consistently do. And it doesn't seem bizarre to me, but when he first recognized that gap in my training and suggested, you know, that we fill that gap, it seemed, uh, like scary and intimidating, but I trust him. And so, um, some, like I said, often it's Joe just recognizing something and, and adding it into our training. Um, and then other times, as you said, it's a performance plateau and you just kind of see, um, whether it's a race mindset or a race tactics or a fitness issue, um, a plateau in results. And for me, this past season in 2019, that kind of happened, um, I raced in June of 2019 in Oslo and I ran 908 and I finished in fourth and I had run, I've run between 905 and 910 so many times in my career. And I finished second, third, fourth in so many diamond leagues. Um, and so Joe and I both looked at that performance and thought like, I've run this race too many times before this identical thing. So then we had to, it wasn't a fitness issue. It was really just a tactic issue and a mindset issue. So then our next race I changed my tactic drastically and, and ended up running nine Oh four and got second. Um, I fell in the race, but I still got second and ran nine Oh four. Um, and then kind of used that, those new tactics throughout this season ended up getting second at worlds, um, running nine Oh two. So it's, it's a combination of, you know, coach seeing what needs to happen in training and then also being really honest with race results and saying, okay, where is my mindset needing a shift? Where is, where are the tactics needing a shift? Yeah. And, and what are some of those race tactics that you started to implement that helped you run 902? And and if I understand 902 is your PR, right? Yeah. And, and, um, I've run 902 twice, once in 2017, um, world championships, and then this past season in 2019 world championships. And, um, in 2019, it was a slight PR. Um, so the change in tactics was to go out way hard. (laughs) So the first, I mean, if, if in a typical situation, if I'm trying to run close to nine minutes in the steeple, I like to have my first kilometer be right around three Oh one, maybe your three Oh two with, you know, our first lap being maybe a 70, 71. Um, and then the middle kilometer might cut it down again, that last kilometer. And I really enjoy cutting down that last K. I like, that's what my body craves. And that's what, um, I think I'm good at is, is kind of squeezing it down from a long ways out. But, that wasn't really working any, like that wasn't working and I wasn't getting any faster. And, um, so then the, the shift went just go so crazy fast the first kilometer with the leader and see how long you can hang on. Um, and so I did that in a, exactly what my splits were, um, maybe two fifty six for the first kilometer. Um, and then the, Next time I tried it was the Zurich Diamond League and I went 253 the first kilometer and then I died so badly and and did terribly in that race. And so I kind of 
learned from, from that experience in Zurich of like, okay, that tactic doesn't work, um, of going so fast. And so then at, at worlds when, um, it looked like the leader was going to make that first kilometer go that fast. I just let her go and said, all right, I'm, I learned my lesson in Zurich. I'm not going to go that fast, but I can, I can do similar to what I did in that prefontaine race. Um, anyway, so it's, it's just the difference of a few seconds, but in a, in a race, a few seconds matters. Um, and I was playing around with that a lot this year. Yeah. I think the difference between, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but the difference between three flat and two fifty six in your opening kilometer of a steeplechase is, is pretty substantial is, it seems like a more stressful and even intimidating race strategy to do it this way to kind of go out hard, um, you know, put, put the fate of the race in, you know, how you might feel in the last kilometer, what kind of mental shifts had to take place for you to start really getting behind this new race strategy? I think it it just was a, you know, screw it. I've been doing it this other way for so long. And, um, if I fail multiple and always go back to that other way of racing, but, um, you know, it was, it was just needing to be a little more fearless with it. Um, and a little bit more committed and focused to being outside of my comfort zone, um, in the race, you know, at, at Prefontaine, when I first tried it going out this fast, I, I had vowed and I raised my right hand and made a vow and said out loud, I will go out with Beatrice, um, the, the world champion and, um, world record holder. And I said, I will go out with her and, and even if it kills me and Joe had said, if you do this and you die, I'm going to, I'm not going to be mad at you. I mean, we have to try it. We have to do it. And so I think you have to put your pride away and, um, know physically that you're going to probably be in more pain than you are using the other tactic and just go for it. Um, and when I say go for it, I think that my, you know, some people might say, uh, I feel like some people race really recklessly and they say, Oh, I went for it. But when we were doing it, 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 to us was very calculated and not reckless. Um, but it, it did feel like a totally new thing to do and just a totally different shift in mindset that I had to just say, I've committed to this first kilometer being this way, and then we'll see what happens after that. I think it's really refreshing to hear arguably one of the best runners in the world having this mindset about racing of just (laughs) screw it. Let's go out hard. Let's see what happens. And if I fail, both you and your coach are acknowledging that it's not a failure. It's kind of this learning opportunity and and you have to try something new to keep progressing and keep improving and learn new things about what your capabilities are. So I, I think it's really valuable for all of us to hear that because I think, you know, as, as us, normal runners over here, you know, we, we sometimes get, uh, very intimidated about doing something like that because we don't want to waste the race opportunity and the race experience. But I I think that's the only way to really see what you're capable of is to go out on a limb a little bit and, and take that chance. And there's a time and a place for it too. Um, Joe and I talked out when we were in Doha, Doha, the world championships and said, okay, well, the two options are, go out as you did in Zurich with Beatrice and risk that you die as terribly as you did in Zurich. In Zurich, I ended up in sixth and ran my slowest time of the year. Um, 
Or you put your ego aside a little bit and just say, I'm running for a podium spot and, um, and trust that kind of, I could merge my, the tactic that I was trying last year with some of my previous tactics and, um, kind of have trust in my race instincts. And so we did experiment earlier in the year. And through that, we were able to learn the right lesson. And through that also, we were able to teach my body how to cope with, you know, being in debt so early in the race and, um, being strong through it. So there's a time and a place to experiment and try new things. And, but then there's also a time and a place to kind of put your ego aside and say, what's the most realistic option for success? Emma, did you find yourself being able to kick hard at the end of those races where you went out really fast? Because I know that that was your previously preferred race strategy. It's what your body was craving. It's arguably what you were very good at. Could you essentially do both? Um, and, and how did that play out for those races? Um, I, I should say at pre I closed, I think the second fastest in the race or maybe third fastest. Um, I think like me and Courtney Frerichs and Beatrice Chipkowicz all closed, you know, within a half second of one another for our last lap. Um, so I was able to close well there. Um, at Zurich, no, I closed like, I mean, my last lap was probably an 80 when I usually would be running a 70 or faster. Um, and at Worlds, I was able to close well, um, I can't remember my split, but I did close well there. So again, it depended on <laughs> Zurich. I was, I was in debt way too much and over my head. Um, but in the other two races, I was able to handle it well. Um, and yeah, I think every race we need a different race strategy at the U S championships. I have a different strategy than I would at a diamond league, um, which is a different strategy than I would have at a world championships or Olympics. So we have to be ready to handle any situation and. Um, you know, prepare the best we can in races and in practice to be able to handle whatever the situation, whatever the race circumstances. That that seems to me very challenging to do. How how do you prepare in training for a, a race that might look very different one day to the next? You know, it goes out really fast, or maybe it's a tactical race that goes out really slow, and you know, the last kilometer is you know a free for all out there on the track. What are some of the things that you practice in training? to get you physically and mentally ready to almost have almost any kind of race strategy on race day, depending on what the other runners are doing? I think part of it for me is that I've just been racing the steeplechase for so many years now and racing it at domestically, racing it internationally, racing it at, um, you know, global competitions, um, and global championships. So I've just seen all the different ways the steeplechase can happen. Um, the steeple in Rio, typically every race is kind of run like a, a bell curve, a fast start, a slow middle and a fast finish. Um, in Rio, the eventual winner, Ruth Dubet, she ran a 2.52 middle kilometer, or maybe it was Paris, but like there was one race that she ran the world record in that the middle kilometer, she ran the fastest split of the day. So so sometimes you just have to be ready for whatever. And I think there's, um, over the years, there's confidence in knowing your own body and kind of what you can handle. Um, and yeah, hoping that you and your coach in, in practice have, have 
replicated as many situations as possible, but there's not one specific workout, um, that I can think of that's like, oh, this is the workout that we prepped for what the finish at the U S championships was, or this was the one workout that we prepped for what the start at Zurich would be, um, trying to, you know, incorporate those things throughout a season into training. And then also in race experiences, you get exposure to it, to test your body and your mind and how you can handle it. Yeah. It seems like the, the total body of work that you've put in over the course of the season and really over the course of years and years, uh, the variety of different workouts and then all the race experience you have, it seems like that's the best type of preparation for an unpredictable race that might demand two very different types of race strategies. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no quick one workout that can get you ready for anything. It's a body of work, like you said, and it's not only a season's worth of work, but it's a career's worth of work that, that gives you the experience, um, to have confidence that, you know, you know what to do in different scenarios. When we're, when we're at the Olympics or world championships, we can't hear our coach yelling at us what to do. Um, I often like, sometimes you you can look back at races and I'll be looking in the stands, making eye contact with Joe or, you know, back when I was in college, I'd be making eye contact with my college coaches and, and getting advice (laughs) or reassurance that I was doing the right thing. But when we're at a global championship or a diamond league, you can't hear or see anything in the stands. So it's really based. It's all you, the athlete alone, trying to figure it out and hopefully using your past experience and race instincts and race plan that you've made beforehand with your coach to get you through it. Yeah. And that's a a good testament to how Joe has really prepared you well recently. Um, Emma, let's talk a little bit about something a little different. I have two questions from our listeners. Uh, and one of them is what advice do you have for a high school senior girl transitioning to competing in college? I had transitioned from high school to college. And I think a lot of that was because I came into college with zero expectations. Um, I didn't expect to be, you know, on varsity. I didn't expect to be the best one on the team. I didn't expect to be able to keep up with the veteran women on the team. Um, and my coaches were really gentle with that transition in high school. I ran like 15 or 20 miles a week. And even that was only in the fall and spring. I never ran in the winter or summer. Um, so they were really patient and, and gently brought me into the reality of what it looks like to run year round and run every single day. Um, so for high school runners that are going into college, make sure you're eating enough food, make sure you're, um, not stressing about trying to be the best, um, and not overstressing your body to keep up with maybe the best girls on the team if you're not ready for that. Um, and then I also think it's good to, to look at who the leader is on the team, who some of the best juniors and seniors are on the team and try and emulate, um, you know, their behaviors that them, how, what their mindset is, how, if, you know, if you respect how they do it, um, what their mindset is, um, how they treat their bodies and how they, you know, conduct themselves at practice. I think often you can look at, at the successful upperclassmen on a team and try and do what they did. And, um, that'll be really helpful. All right, Emma. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you have to take off, Um, but I want our listeners to be able to catch up with you and find out what you're up to this, these days, where can they find you? Um, on 
Instagram at Emma Coburn and on Twitter at Emma J Coburn um, on Facebook. I think it's Emma Coburn steeples. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Awesome, Emma. Well, again, I appreciate it. And uh, I hope to uh, be publishing this really soon. And I'll let you know when it goes live. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, Emma. Hey, it's Jason here one more time before you pause me. Talking with Emma was a real treat for me. And I hope that you'll find her on Instagram, where she shares a lot of great content and behind the scenes of her life and training. And she's even doing live cooking shows right now. So it's a fun time to be an Emma Coburn fan. I also want to talk to you a little bit more about our sponsor, Elevate Running Camp, because this is just an awesome opportunity to enjoy some of the best trails in the country and a mecca for distance running in Boulder, Colorado. Elevate is a four-day, three-night adult running camp with pro athletes, doctors, and other experts to help you make the most from a retreat like this. You can get a post-run massage, do some outdoor yoga, and most importantly, connect with other runners just like you. Plus, you get a swag bag and professional camp photos to post all over your Instagram account. All ages and paces are welcomed, and the price, excluding travel to Boulder, is all-inclusive, with lots of great food for runners as well. While registration is currently closed because of the coronavirus, I encourage you to sign up for their email list on their site, elevaterunningcamp.com. You'll be the first to know when registration reopens, and when it does, you can use code ELEVATESTRENGTH200 to save $200 off a camp of your choice. Thanks for listening to this episode, and if you found it helpful, I would so appreciate you sharing this with a running friend of yours or leaving a review in Apple Music. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.